You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down the best fights to make in the UFC's welterweight 170-pound division, as well as discussing the full lineups. Yes, full lineups for the May, 9, May 13th and May 16th cards going down in the UFC with three cards in one week. So without any further ado, strap yourselves in, get your popcorn ready, and let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? This is going to be the second part of the episode from yesterday where we broke down the uh, best fights to make in the middleweight division for the UFC, as well as explain some of the fight announcements which were going to be made. Um, So this is, again, part two of episode 90, and we're going to keep it going. It's probably going to be three parts, but let's start it off. I mean, first of all, Dana White went on with Brett Okamoto yesterday and explained, you know, what the cards are going to be for the May 13th and May 16th uh, fight cards. And we already knew the main event. So the main event for the May 13th card is a light heavyweight bout between top-ranked contenders Anthony Lionheart-Smith and Glover Teixeira. So that's the main event for May 13th. And then on May 16th, we have the main event in the heavyweight division between top-ranked contender Alistair Overeem and Walt Harris, which were two fights that were supposed to happen. I believe they were going to be... March 28th or in April, like April 11th, I think was the Walt Harris fight. And then Glover and Smith, I think was April 25th. I'm not hundred percent sure you could correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, these cards look pretty good. I would say the May 16th card is a little bit better because there's a lot more, there's closer matchups on that fight card, I would say, but these cards are still amazing. So let's start it off with the May 13th card. So first off, we'll start with the prelims. So first up on the prelims is a featherweight bout between Hunter Azur um, and Brian Boom Boom Kelleher. Um, you guys know Brian Kelleher. I, I believe he made, uh, obviously he's beaten some good guys in his career. He beat Henan Barrow. He's coming off a win in his last fight via submission. I believe he caught the his opponent in a guillotine choke, but I'm not 100% sure who his last fight was. I'll actually pull that up for you right now. So his last fight, he, okay, Ode Osborne. Yeah, that was that's right, at UFC 246. So he beat him via first-round submission. I'm pretty sure it was a um, guillotine choke. Like, he mounted with the guillotine and then pulled him into guard and ended up getting the submission. But he has a win over Henan Barrow. You know, that looks a little worse now than it did back when he got that win because Henan Barrow has kind of fallen off, and I believe he's out of the UFC now. He doesn't even fight in the UFC anymore. But uh, Hunter Azur is undefeated. He is 7-0 overall in professional mixed martial arts. And he handed Brad Katona his first loss. And, you know, Katona Katona's a very tough guy. He, he was a former Ultimate Fighter winner. Um, very good wrestling and very good striking. Just a really patient guy and very technical. Anywhere the fight goes, he uh, can handle himself. But obviously, you know, Hunter Azur beat him. I believe he's 8-0 or 7-0, I'm sorry, in his professional mixed martial arts career. So that fight versus Brian Kelleher. Um, that should be a good fight in the 145 pound division. I think uh, I, I think I'm going to lean towards Kelleher just because of his experience, but it could go either way. I mean, you don't know. We haven't seen a lot of Hunter Azur in the UFC, so you never know what to expect from a newcomer like Hunter Azur. So that's going to be a good fight, though. Up next in the women's bantamweight division, which is 135 pounds, we have Sajara Eubanks versus Sarah Maras. This fight was supposed to take place before and. You know, it's got pushed back, obviously, because of everything that's going on with the coronavirus, but UFC's looking to get back, and this was one of the fights that was booked before. You know, Sajar Eubanks, 
She was originally, I believe she was originally supposed to, uh, I, I don't remember, something with her, like, she was on the Ultimate Fighter, and she was going to fight Nico Montano in, uh, let's see, in her fight to get into the house, or to win the Ultimate Fighter, I'm sorry, and I believe that she pulled out or had some weight cutting issues, didn't make weight. And then maybe two or three more times in her mixed martial arts career, she uh, she failed to make weight on a couple of occasions. I believe she was supposed to fight uh, Valentina Shevchenko, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm pretty sure that was a fight that was going to get made, and she was going to be try to fight for the inaugural women's 125 uh, pound championship, which would have been the flyweight title. Uh, let's see. So yeah, she was supposed to fight. Um, Sarah Morass at what was formerly UFC 249 on April 18th. And then she lost to Betch Correa via decision, lost to Aspen Ladd via decision. And then you go back a little further in her career. Um, she beat Roxanne Mataferi. Oh yeah, I was right. Okay. So at UFC 230, she was going to fight Shevchenko for the women's flyweight championship. That did not happen. The fight got canceled. Um, she beat Lauren Murphy via decision, but she's had some weight cutting issues in the past. And, uh, you know, but this fight's getting rebooked, and it should be a good fight for the uh, women's 135-pound division. And, uh, yeah, up next is a good fight for the lightweight division. We have uh, Michael the Menace Johnson, who was formerly going to fight, I want to say it was, uh, who was he? Uh, Kama Worthy. Yeah, that was it. Kama Worthy at UFC 249. That fight is not happening, but now he will be fighting Tiago Moises on the April or the May 16th, right? May 13th card. I'm sorry, which is going to be on a Wednesday. That's one thing I want to make sure I tell you guys. So UFC 249, May 9th is a Saturday. That Wednesday, May 13th is this card. And then May 16th is a card as well. And then May the next week, I think is May 23rd. There's a fight card as well. So a lot of fights to look forward to. And it's good because we've had a drought due to this coronavirus. So Let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. So we've got the next fight. Like I said, Michael Johnson versus Tiago Moises. This is a great fight. It's a tough fight for Michael Johnson. You know, Moises is a good striker on the feet. He's good. He's a good grappler as well. But uh, I think his bread and butter is trying to fight on the feet. He likes to uh, try to. He has some decent striking. He's pretty technical in his approach to uh, to uh, fighting on the feet. You know, pumping the jab, moving in and out, faking and feigning, and trying to catch you. Um, with some good shots. He has some good power in his hands. If you look at his last fight against, or one of his last fights against, who was it? I just watched the fight too. Um, uh, Demir Osmogulov or something. Or let me see, let me see. Uh, Tiago Moises. So, pull it up right here for you. I just watched the fight too. Yeah, Demir Ismogulov. Uh, I just watched that fight before I did this podcast. And um, that was a great fight. Demir Ismogulov is very, very good. Very good and very technical on the feet. He's good at defending takedowns. You know, Moises has, is a, has a, he has a very good jiu-jitsu background as well. With the wrestling, he'll try to take you down and uh, look for his submissions. I believe his bread and butter is his, is his grappling, but he is a good striker. He likes to throw some wild techniques like spinning back kicks, hook kicks, and... Uh, you know, likes to, he likes to fight everywhere, you know, but mainly he's trying to get you to the ground. And when he was losing the fight against Demir Ismogulov, who is a phenomenal striker, you watch that fight. If you guys haven't seen this, I actually didn't remember the fight a hundred percent, but when I just went back and rewatched it, I remember watching that fight and being like, okay, this, this Ismogulov guy is very good and he's very quick and he's able to get on the inside and move out, pop up, fake and faint. 
throws some really good kicks to the body and kicks up top to the head and uh, has a lot of power in his shots, and he does not get tired. He'll push forward for the entire mm -hmm. 15 minutes until the fight's over. So this is a great fight. And uh, Tiago Moises, like I said, even though he lost this fight, he's 12-4 and four overall in his professional mixed martial arts career. But against Michael Johnson, you know, it's a tough fight for Johnson. You know, I think I think that Michael Johnson has the speed advantage. I think the technical advantage I would give to Tiago Moises. On the ground, um, I give the advantage to Moises. But, you know, Michael Johnson isn't easy to take down. And I think he's going to be moving a lot in and out on the feet. You know, one of the best things, one of the when Michael Johnson was at, was at his best and he beat guys like Tony Ferguson and he beat Edson Barbosa, he was, he was constantly moving, faking and feigning, faking and feigning, footwork, cutting angles, shifting his weight, blah, blah, blah. Get is get in and move out and uh, throw throw that power in his left hand like he always does. But um, lately, you know, he's fallen on some hard times. He had a good run at 145 and then ended up ended up losing to uh, Josh Emmett via vicious overhand right knockout. But I think this is a good fight for both guys and it's a tough matchup for both guys. I think Moises is going to try to outpoint fight. Michael Johnson, you know, keep him on the edge of the jab. Try to throw some good leg kicks and kicks to the body to keep him at kicking range and stop Johnson from being able to get in close and land his vicious combinations. Um, Johnson has a win over Dustin Poirier as well. So, I mean, beating Poirier, Ferguson, and Barbosa, and he hurt Khabib in their fight at UFC 205. You know, he stunned him with a left hand, and it looked like, you know, Khabib was on wobbly legs, but then he got, you know, grounded and pounded and taken down and basically suffocated by the eagle Khabib Nurmagomedov. But yeah, this is a good fight. I'm going to lean towards Johnson just in terms of his speed advantage and his ability to ability to stuff takedowns. I, I've picked Michael Johnson on this podcast before, and I've picked him in fights before, and you know it always comes back to bite me in the ass because when I think he's going to lose, he ends up pulling it off, and then when I think he's going to win and it looks like a favorable matchup, he ends up losing. Like against Darren Elkins, I believe I picked Johnson to beat Darren Elkins, and look what happened. I mean, Darren Elkins took his back and submitted him when he was losing like the entire fight. So... Johnson has had a has had a uh, has had an ability or had a a failure to win some very close decisions, but he's still a really really good fighter. And uh, even though I believe his record in the UFC is sixteen wins and sixteen losses, but do not get that twisted. Michael Johnson is a very very good fighter training with Henry Hooft. And yeah, Tiago Moises versus Michael Johnson, great fight. Um, the last fight on the prelims is the uh, heavyweight bout between the legend Andre the Pitbull Arlovsky. And Felipe Linz, I don't know who Linz is. Um, this should be a good fight, though. I, I like to see Arlovsky fight. You know, his chin is suspect. He has gotten clipped a lot and, and put to sleep. But then you think he's going to lose a fight, and he ends up coming back and winning. I would think we're at the tail end of Andre Arlovsky's career, but it should be a fun one, you know. Now let's move to the main card. And up first on the main card is a phenomenal fight in the middleweight division between Carl Roberson and Marvin, the, the Italian dream Vittori. You know, I've talked about Vittori multiple times on this podcast before, and this fight between him and Carl Roberson, um, phenomenal, phenomenal fight. Both guys are southpaws, um, very technical striking from both guys. I would say if there's a certain advantage I would give to either guy, I think I give Roberson the advantage in, uh, technique and sharpness on the feet, but I think I give Marvin Vittori the advantage in, he has very good technique as well, but I think that Roberson's just a little bit sharper than him, but I give Marvin Vittori the advantage in terms of technical, uh, in terms of volume striking. You know, he, he likes to, he, you never see Vittori throw a single shot. You know, every once in a while he'll pop that left hand out, slip and throw the left hand, but it's usually left hand, 
right hook, left uppercut, right hook, double jab, circle out, right, uh, straight left, right hook, left body kick, left low kick, straight left, just constantly throwing combinations. He always likes to finish with that hook from the right side or the uppercut from the rear left hand. Um, likes to work in the clinch as well and will go for takedowns. I believe I said before he more likes to grapple in a lot of his fights. And even though he is a very good grappler, he I was completely wrong, and I don't know why I thought that. He's a very good striker, and he likes to try to keep it on the feet. He's uh, he's very thick for this weight class. You know, he's very stocky and very muscular. Carl Roberson's more of a tall, lanky frame. He's very he's shredded, and he's a big guy, but he has I, he's a little bit you know taller and uh, not as wide as a guy like Marvin Vittori. So I would think in the grappling exchanges, I would give a little slight advantage. To uh, Marvin, the dream, the Italian dream, Vittori, but this is a great fight and probably one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most on this entire card. But uh, yeah, obviously I'll have my detailed breakdowns, you know, coming out soon. But yeah, great fight for the middleweight division. Up next in the bantamweight division, we have a fight that got rebooked between Ricky Simone and the Taz Mexican Devil Ray Borg. Another phenomenal fight, guys. Another phenomenal fight. You know, Ray Borg has been a, has a little has been, you know, hit and miss ever since his loss to uh, Demetrius Johnson when he lost via that, you know, body lock transition into an armbar. But, you know, this is a good fight for both guys. You know, Ricky Simone, he lost to Uriah Faber, then came back and he lost to Rob Font. But the fight against Faber, you know, he looked pretty like he was going to be able to put Faber away and then he got caught with that overhand right. And if, if Faber hits you with that overhand, usually, you know, he'll put you to sleep. But this is a great fight, and uh, Ricky Simone, uh, he had a good fight against Rob Font as well. Him and Rob Font put on a banger of a fight, and that was a very, very close fight, but Rob Font got the decision just because of how crisp and technical his striking was, and he was able to push the pace. Um, but yeah, I, if I have to lean towards somebody in this fight, I think I'm going to lean a little bit towards Ricky Simone. Um, I like Ray Borg. I think he can definitely get the job done with his wrestling and his transitions on the ground and his ability to flow on his back and on top and control position. That's the one thing that uh, Ray Borg is probably the best at is uh, scrambles on the ground. When it comes to the scrambling game, I give a big advantage to Ray Borg here. Even though Ricky Simone is very good in the grappling and he has the ability to take his opponents down and look for submissions, um, I think we're, I think Ricky Simone's going to mainly try to tape put um, Ray Borg up against the fence, try to strike from the clinch, and then try to uh, throw heavy shots from when he's at range. But this is a good fight for both guys, and I'm very excited. If I got to lean towards somebody right now, before I give my predictions, like I said, I probably lean a little bit towards uh, I'd lean a little bit towards Ricky Simone. I think, but we'll see when I give you my full predictions. All these could change, you know. Obviously, up next, the fight I said should happen in the lightweight division. A Another phenomenal fight. Um, Alexander Hernandez versus Drew Dober. This is this is a fantastic matchup. I talked about it, I believe, on the last episode I did um, when I said the fight announcements, but we didn't have the full cards yet. Um, this is a great fight for both guys. And uh, you saw what Drew Dober did to Nasrat Hakparast. And, uh, you know, one common opponent that these guys both have is Benil Dariush. And Alexander Hernandez put Benil Dariush on the moon with one straight right hand, I believe. And Drew Dober lost to lost to Benil Dariush, got out grappled and got submitted. In this contest, it's pretty easy to see. Alexander Hernandez is going to have the strength advantage when it comes to the grappling, and he'll have the wrestling advantage as well. He, he's a bigger guy. Um, he'll have the advantage on the ground for sure, and I think that's what he's going to look to do. He's going to look to clinch up with Drew Dober, push him up against the fence, work some strikes in the clinch, 
and then take him down and uh, work from there and try to get uh, some good strikes off on the ground and control him. He is good on the feet, and he does have a lot of power. You saw that in the fight with Benil Dariush. But I think striking with a guy like Drew Dober is a big is a big issue. I think uh, I could easily see Dober catching Hernandez on the jaw with that straight left hand. I mean, I think these both of these guys are actually southpaws. So they're both going to be looking for the straight left down the center. Um, that's one thing that both guys are definitely going to be looking for. But I think Dober is a little bit looser on the feet and a little bit more sharp and technical. And if he lands with that left hand on your chin, he can put you to sleep. And I think a lot of guys sleep on Drew Dober. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was a big underdog against Nasrat Hakparast because Nasrat was coming out of, you know, TriStar with Faraz Sahabi and GSP and all the top guys out there. And people thought, you know, he was the next best thing, you know, Kelvin Gastelum's twin. And, uh, you know, it didn't happen. Drew Dober timed an outside low kick. And uh, I think it was either, I think it was an outside low kick from Nasrat encountered with that straight left down the center, dropped him and uh, finished him off with ground and pound. But uh, I'm going to lean towards Drew Dober in this one, but it's a phenomenal fight. And if it goes to the ground, you got to give the advantage to Alexander Hernandez. But on the feet, I give the advantage to Drew Dober. But this is going to be a firefight and be excited. Up next, the co-main event. We have a former light heavyweight contender, Ovint St. Peru, a former light heavyweight title challenger who faced John Jones at UFC 197, moving up to heavyweight to fight Ben Rothwell. Um, this is an interesting one. This is this is pretty interesting. I don't know what to expect from OSP at heavyweight. You know, he's he's lost a lot of his previous fights um, as of late in his career. And Ben Rothwell, you know, he's been, he, I don't believe he's fought in a very long time. I could be wrong, but I don't remember seeing him for a long time. I know he fights um, out of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, he has some good wins as well. I mean, he beat Brendan Shaw back in the day. He's beat Matt Mitrione. He's beat some very good guys in his in his uh, in his career. Um, let's see. So his last fight was on um, December seventh, twenty nineteen. So I was wrong. Um, he knocked out Stefan Struve. I believe that was a fight that. I want to say Stefan Struve was doing well in, and then there was a controversial finish to that fight, um, maybe like an illegal blow, and it led to the end of the fight for Stefan Struve. Um, he, he lost to decision against Andrei Arlovsky, lost to decision via uh, to Blagoj Ivanov. And uh, yeah, so this is a tough fight for him, and it's a tough fight for both guys. You know, I don't know what to expect from OSP at heavyweight. He's had a lot of trouble with the grap with grappling and submission heavy fighters. Um, he does have good submissions in his career. But I believe he's one of the only fighters to uh, land the Von Flew choke a, a, a ton of times in his career. I believe that's one of his specialties is that Von Flew choke where the guy's going for a guillotine. You hop over to the other side. You wrap your arms um, around their uh, front and back of their body like a body lock. And then you push in with your shoulder and uh, it, it cuts off the air on their neck, and then they end up going to sleep. And I believe he's got that a ton of times, and they wanted to change the name to the OSP choke, not the Von Flu choke. But when it comes to the fight, you know, I think on the feet, technique-wise, I give the advantage to OSP. In the wrestling department, I give the advantage to Rothwell. I think that Ovin St. Peru is definitely the better athlete here. He has more explosiveness and the better ability to move in and out of range and uh, try to use his footwork to cut off Ben Rothwell or make him miss and make him pay. But honestly, I, I I don't know. This is a good fight, though, and I'm excited to see it. But I'm going to lean a little bit towards OSP right now. Um, I think that he can definitely get caught and knocked out. But I do think uh, I do think I got to lean towards OSP. He has more weapons in the in the uh, toolbox than does Ben Rothwell. And then the main event, a very good fight in the light heavyweight division. It's 
Anthony Lionheart Smith versus Glover Teixeira. Um, this is a really good fight both for both guys and a very important fight for both guys. You know, in my head, I thought Glover Teixeira had kind of fallen off in terms of the light heavyweight rankings and everything as of late. Let's actually look up when his last fight was. I like the way. Uh, come on, come on, come on. So overall in his career, he's 30 and 7. Um, he's got some good wins. Three wins in a row, actually. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I guess I was wrong. Um, his last fight was on September 14, 2019. He beat Nikita Krylov via decision. Um, he beat Ian Kutalaba via a second round rear naked choke, and he beat Carl Robison versus Robison Robertson versus via a uh arm triangle choke in the first round. So, you know, Glover's dangerous and, it, and it's a tough fight. And if he gets a win over a guy like Lionheart, Anthony Smith, um, it, that, that could be a do wonders for his career. Um, if Anthony Smith gets a win here, I think he would vault himself into a, into a fight against, um, Tiago Santos. And I think that's a phenomenal fight. They fought each other at 185 prior to, uh, Smith moving up to, or prior to both guys moving up to heavyweight, they fought each other at 185 pounds in the middleweight division. Anthony Smith lost via TKO, and then obviously he went up to light heavyweight and did the deed. Um, but he's coming off a big win over Alexander Gustafsson in Gustafsson's hometown of Sweden. And he he came back like immediately after that fight against John Jones. I believe he fought John Jones in March, and then he ended up coming back in June because he wanted to get the taste out of his mouth with that fight against Jones. And Gustafsson was looking real good in the fight. Um, there, there was a time when both guys... Uh, I believe Gustafson was was getting the better of him on the feet, and uh, but when it got to the grappling, there was a time when I believe Gustafson like went for. I, I broke this fight down on my podcast back in the day, so if you want to listen to that, definitely go and listen. But I believe what happened was Gustafson went for a sloppy takedown, and Anthony Smith was able to gain top position, get his back, um, hold on to the hooks as Gustafson tried to stand up and uh, drag him back down to the ground, flatten him out, get the rear naked choke, and get the submission in a fight that uh, Gustafson was looking real good with his footwork and his movement and his striking. Um, he was kind of getting the better of Anthony Smith, but Smith found a way to win. Um, I think against Glover, it's a tough fight for... I think it's a tougher fight for Glover than it is for Lionheart. I think Glover's very good, and he has very good grappling. Um, obviously, ability to get submissions. I think on the feet, though... I got to give the advantage to Anthony Smith. I think he has more weapons than does Glover Teixeira. Glover's a very good boxer, and he fights, you know, real close in tight, kind of like a Mike Tyson style. I think there was a point where a lot of people were calling him like the Mike Tyson of the heavyweight division because he likes to come in on the inside and try to rip you up to the body and in the clinch. And uh, you saw John Jones kind of, kind of do do work on him in that clinch position when they fought at UFC 172. He was able to use that arm wrench to try kind of just you know destroy the arms and then those elliptical kicks and side kicks to the knee to uh, beat up Anthony Lionheart or to beat up uh, Glover Teixeira in their fight. But it's a tough fight for both guys. But I think Lionheart Smith is going to get the job done here. Um, I don't know why I'm giving you my predictions on this episode. I said I'd do a, pr a pr prediction later on down the line. But good fight. And uh, Anthony Smith, I think uh, I think he's just better everywhere a little bit, slightly, a little bit better everywhere than is Glover Teixeira. I think he's a little bit more technical and has more weapons, and I think he's going to get the win. I, I could see him finishing Glover. But, yeah, that's a good main card, a very good main card. And then we'll get to the next card 
which is for the May 16th event. And we're going to start in the prelims. Up first in the heavyweight division, you have Rodrigo Nascimento versus Dante Mays. Um, I haven't seen much of either of these guys. I don't know if I've seen them fight anytime, obviously, uh, to be honest with you. So I'll have to do my research and give you a breakdown on that fight. Um, up next in the featherweight division, we have the return of Darren the Damage Elkins versus Nate Landwer. Um, Nate Landwer was uh, thought to be a, a really tough guy coming into the UFC. He was a former M1 Global Champion. And uh, let's see, Nate Landwer. I can actually pull up his last fight. He lost via knockout to uh, Herbert Burns, which is Gilbert Burns' brother, I believe. But he's he's got a very good record overall. Um, his overall record in professional mixed martial arts is 13 wins and three losses. He's got eight wins via KO and five via decision. Uh, he fights out of Clarksville, Tennessee in the United States. Um, he lost to Herbert Vern Burns via KO, but in M1, he's before he came into the UFC, he was on a one, two, three, four, five, a seven fight win streak, and he was the champion for uh, M1 M1 Global. So he he had a lot of uh, eyes on him, and a lot of people were really talking him up. Um, but obviously Herbert Burns had that knee to uh, put a rest to all that. But that's a good fight for both guys. You know, it's a tough fight because Darren Elkins never stops moving forward. He's always pushing forward, trying to rough you up, and uh, trying to get the finish. And he does take a lot of damage. He's taken a lot of damage in his mm -hmm. career. No wonder his nickname is The Damage, Darren The Damage Elkins. Um, he's good on the ground. He has good wrestling. That's probably his biggest advantage anywhere in a fight is his wrestling. He likes to try to push you up against the fence in a clinch position, go for takedowns, wear you out, and uh, try to finish you on the ground with ground and pound or obviously get to a decision. But he's very good in the wrestling department. Um, Nate Landwer, I, I haven't seen him fight aside from that Herbert Burns fight where he lost. But uh, it should be a good fight, and uh, I'm excited. You know, it, it, It's an interesting one, and uh, I don't know who's going to win. I'll have to break that down for you later on in the predictions when I do my full predictions. Up next in the women's flyweight division, we've got Courtney Casey versus Mara Romero Barella. Um, both these girls have gotten some big, some good wins in their career. Um, I believe Mara Romero Barella is on a, a pretty lengthy losing streak. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she's had a ton of losses lately in her, in her career. Not to say she's not a good fighter, but, you know, She's fallen on hard times, so to speak. Her overall record is 12 wins and 7 losses. Uh, and she's on a two-fight losing streak. One to via TKO to Lauren Murphy. And one via decision to Montana De La Rosa. I believe De La Rosa just kind of beat her up the entire fight. And Lauren Murphy, Murphy got the TKO. Prior to that, she had a win via decision over Tyla, Tyla Santos. And then prior to that, she lost to Caitlin Chukagian via decision. But, you know, Chukagian fought Valentina Shevchenko. And, uh, she lost the fight, but Hey, she, she got the fight against her. So what can you say? Um, yeah, so this should be a good fight. And, uh, Courtney Casey, from what I remember is a very good competitor. She's got really good striking, good boxing and good kickboxing on the feet. I think her hands are her best weapon when it comes to Courtney Casey. Let's see. Actually, I actually want to look up some highlights for her. See if I can put these on pause. Uh, Courtney Casey. Let's see. Um, doesn't look like she has any highlights up. She's fought Joanne Calderwood. Fought some good girls in her career. Let's just watch this one real quick. 
So yeah, she's good on the feet. Very good. Uh, very good ability to just stay loose and stay technical. Um, good in the clinch, trying to uh, land some good shots in the clinch. And uh, from I remember watching her last fight. I think it was the one against. I can't remember who it was against, but I remember watching her. And she's got good takedowns. Um, good ability to go for submissions on the ground, but she's got good striking. You know, she's pretty good everywhere. Um, I don't think a lot of people know of her. I think a lot of people sleep on a girl like Courtney Casey, but I'm not sleeping on her at all. Um, I think against Mauro Romero Barella, she's probably going to be able to push the pace and uh, beat her anywhere the fight goes. Like I said, not to say Mauro Romero Barella is not a good fighter, but I think she can push the pace and uh, have a pretty solid performance in this one. Up next is a fight between Mike Davis and Giga Chikedzi in the featherweight division. That should be a good one. Um, I know Giga Chikedzi is very good on the feet. He's got a lot of hype surrounding him in the UFC. Um, Mike Davis, I believe he's you know won some, lost some in the UFC. Um, kind of kind of hit or miss. I could be wrong. Obviously, I'll have a better breakdown when I do the predictions. Um, and then to round off the prelims, we have in the middleweight division Kevin Holland versus Anthony Hernandez. I know I don't know. I do not know of Anthony Hernandez, but I do know Kevin Holland. Um, he had that good fight against Jacare Souza, or was it Tiago Santos? Yeah, yeah, he had a good fight against Tiago Santos. Um, almost submitted him with an armbar and almost caught him with a flying omoplata, but then uh, Santos just pushed the pace and eventually got the finish, I believe, against Kevin Holland. Um, he's got some some submission wins in the UFC after that. Um, very, very good jujitsu and good wrestling and good ability to lock up submissions. So uh, this should be a good fight. Um, we're gonna stop this part here and go to the next part. So I will catch you on the next part, guys.